You are tuning in to episode 136 of the Dawson D Show, and today marks the return of a former guest of the show and very good friend, Bailey Wright. Bailey joined us on the show about two years ago, episode 33 to be exact, where we heard his unbelievable story from his humble beginnings in Australia to heading across to the UK just 16 years old to pursue his dream of playing professional football. Not only did he succeed in playing in England, which he still does today, he became a socceroo and has represented Australia 27 times at the highest level. But this time we got to chat to Bailey about some of his most recent accolades. Bailey lifted the lid on his recent deadline day loan move to Rotherham and everything that happens on that hectic day, plus what life is like when you're on loan as a player. Last season, his parent club Sunderland were promoted to the championship via the playoffs in a historical moment for one of the biggest and most famous clubs in the UK. Bailey took us behind the scenes to that huge day, but more incredibly, the lead up to it. Bailey was taken ill by food poisoning only days before one of the biggest games of his life and had to stay isolated from the rest of the group in case he was contagious. Then, he got flown privately by helicopter to Wembley Stadium, London, before declaring fit and playing. We hear all the amazing stories of the day and the emotions that came with it. But almost above all of that, Bailey represented the mighty Socceroos at the 2022 Qatar World Cup. After so many years and agonisingly missing out, he got his moment to represent his country on the world's biggest stage. Bailey shared the incredible highs of being part of the group that gave Australia its best ever World Cup result, but also the heartbreaking lows of getting the news that his mother-in-law sadly passed away, all within the space of hours. It's a tough one to listen to. We also got great insight inside the camp, the awe of coming up against Messi and Mbappe, Qatar facilities and so much more. Plus, we got to reminisce about our time spent with Bailey in the UK, which brought plenty of laughs. We can't thank Bailey enough for taking the time out of his very busy schedule to chat with us, and we know you guys will absolutely love this one. And again, if you want to listen to Bailey's story and rise, check out episode 33. But without further ado, here is a big Aussie centre back and our good mate, Bailey Wright. We've got an old friend on the show, Dee. We do. I'm very excited. A very good friend who we actually went over and saw him over. How long ago was it now? Just over a year. Over in the UK. Bailey Wright. Welcome, mate. Welcome back. How are we, guys? Nice to be back. Long time no see. Some good memories of our little uh, catch-up and trip in the UK, but no, good to see uh, both your heads again. You too, mate. Mate, we're very excited. Well, we thought we'd actually start with that trip to the UK. So we were there in January last year. Our intention was, the number one thing was we wanted to see you play. And unfortunately, I think you got yourself injured, maybe a hamstring or something. We spent a bit of time with you, but what are your memories of our time together? <laughs> I think you know where this one's going. <laughs> no, it was... Um... I was injured actually. I think I had a little calf injury, which was frustrating. So you just have to come back over and yeah. and come see a game. Oh, now I'll be at a new club now for the time being. But good memories of I think we went for a few beers. You boys didn't really actually have a beer. Actually, he's all well behaved. I, I, I did. D didn't. <laughs> yeah. D can't, oh. D can't handle the beers. What we found out actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically. Nah. But we went out for a nice little meal. It was nice. And then um, you boys got a bit ill. Oh, if I recall rightly, yeah. I don't know if he's, he's remember what happened there. Yeah, well, <laughs> basically, that was so frustrating, right? Because Bailey's been over in the UK for, you know, bloody, well, how many years? Is it closer to 15 years? Like, oh, how, how old am I now? I'm 30. I moved here when I was 16. So, yeah, so 14 yeah, years. Yeah, Probably. 14, nearly 15 years. Yeah, 14 years. So, you've been over there that whole time. I reckon every year I've always said, to the fam, oh, and with your parents as well, you know, oh, we're going to go over and see Bailey play one year. We're going to go over and see him play one year. Finally, I've, you know, have the balls, me and Dee, like, let's go over, let's go. We catch up with Bailey, Bailey's parents, Jeanette and Andy are there as well. And basically, we go out for dinner, Bailey, Alex, his wife, Koa, his daughter, his parents, we're all out for dinner. It's a beautiful night. And then Bailey goes, all right, tomorrow night, we're going to catch up again. It'll be good to catch up again. Uh, come over to my place and I'll cook you dinner. And then we get back to the hotel room. D just starts like, we, we, we're sharing a bed, mind you, Bales, because, you know, we're on a budget <laughs> traveling. So, you know, we're sharing a nice big king double or something like that. D's feeling a bit hot flushes, weren't you? Yeah. middle. Well, I just woke up in the middle of the night about two in the morning and I just had to, I was so cold. So I'm like, I'm just going to run a bath. And I'm like, it was steaming this bath. And I sat there for about four hours, finally felt better, went back to sleep, woke up and it was fine. And then we obviously had to let Bailey know. We we're like, hey, mate, just letting you know, Dee's been feeling a bit crook. So Bailey kind of, he's obviously has precautions with the club and 
COVID and whatever else. And we couldn't get a test. They were they were so rare in England. So they were sold out everywhere, weren't they, Bailey? Yeah, they were like gold dust, mate. Hard to get hold of. <laughs> gold dust. <laughs> well, you obviously had uh, access through the club because you have to do the tests every day. And you were you just said, boys, I'll get you a couple of tests. I think you had like a heap at home. <laughs> but and he goes, I'll come and drop them off to you. You were so nice. And uh, you drove out. To, we're, <laughs> we're staying in the the the, the centre of the Durham town, the or the town of Durham, I should say. And I'm thinking Bailey might just park the car up and you know walk over, knock on the hotel door, and hand it. But we walk outside, and Bailey just he's whizzing past in his car, pulls up, mouth over the face, chucks the test out. There you go, boys. And we tested both tested positive. And then we had to yeah come back what three weeks later, two weeks later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was horrible, mate. It was. Uh... We still managed to still do a dinner, didn't we? I know. Yeah, we I know did. you boys were just doing anything to avoid my cooking that night. You knew you were <laughs> going to be in for some food poisoning. But uh, I'll just get COVID instead. That nah, uh, worked out good. well, mate. We had uh, we got to try the classic uh, English fish and chips, that which was, was nice. Yeah. Oh yeah, we did. We had fish and chips. That's right. Yeah, that was good. And then obviously, Doss losing stuff. What? What was that? Well, basically, we we wanted to bring this up too. And every listener of the Doss and D show knows Doss's inability to actually hold on to any of his items. And traveling with him is just a new story. And we we're only there a week. And I think I was telling you, Bailey, I'm like, he's already lost. You know, this he nearly lost his wallet on the plane. He's lost this pair of shoes. This, you know, this jumper, this t-shirt. And I said he would just keep losing stuff. And then what happened that night, Bailey? Do you remember when we left the restaurant? Walked straight out, and he was like, "Oh, I'm, I think I don't know what you forgot. It was a hat, or yeah. a jacket, or something like that. Was or or just like that. Typical. I think it was a jumper, mate. I think it was a jumper. Oh God. Anyway, <laughs> well, that was a mate a great time. We'll talk about yesterday. We're, we're really going to try and get back over. But mate, you've had a massive, massive year since between then and now as well. You know, you were at Sunderland. You still are your own by Sunderland, but you just recently, you know, you had some big news. You want to share that, the, the line out to Rotherham? Yeah, uh, a lot's happened, I guess, since since you boys were, were over or since I was last on the pod, I think. I think January, if it was, you know, if we had a manager then when you boys were here at Sunderland, we had a manager change, new manager come in. So it was always, you know, kind of typical football environment, things always changing. And, and now, yeah, obviously... Things went really well with Sunderland. We ended the season getting promoted with with winning at Wembley in the playoffs, which was incredible. And then I guess I got worked my worked my way back into international setup and had an incredible summer there, incredible experience with qualifying for the World Cup. And then yeah, kicked off a championship campaign with Sunderland, which you know was a great buzz as well to be back in that league with with Sunderland. But for me, my my time was a little bit limited. I wasn't really starting games as much as I'd like. Um, for various reasons, I think you know I always respect lads ahead of me in my position, and they were great professionals and great players, and and really good lads, and they were ahead of me. And sometimes you just got to see the situation for what it is. And yeah, so January come around, and the opportunity was you know Rotherham offered me the opportunity to to come here and enjoy my football here, and push for a place in this team, and and you know be part of a team that's staying in the championship. So it was um, a no brainer for me. I'm a I'm a competitor every day in training. I want to win. So when you don't get that, I guess, that carrot on a Saturday of going out and competing and winning, you feel a little bit empty. You feel frustrated and you're just training and ultimately you just want to go out there and win win games of football and, and leave it all leave it all out there. And I wasn't getting that as much as I'd like, although I still played a good few games for Sunderland. Um, rather than offering me that chance. And so far, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've had, I guess, a stop-start loan. I didn't get off to a great start in my debut with getting knocked out, but... No, it's been the club's been been brilliant with me. Great group of lads, great staff, and you know, I feel like we've got a bit of momentum behind us and and doing something good here. So to be part of that has been great. Well, if you could uh, lose this weekend, that'd be that'd be very much appreciated from a QPR <laughs> oh, fan. <laughs> yeah, your QPR, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but anyway, sure know, yeah. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about deadline day and how much say does a player actually get? So in your case, you you mentioned that you had multiple options to potentially go to. How does it work? Do you get a call and say, look, this is where you're going? Or do you actually get a lot of say? Do you, do you interact with with clubs and managers? Or is it just very much until the deal is done, you don't really know? No, it's. I guess it, it depends case for case. Ultimately, you know, when you have a contract at a club, but you know, if you don't want to go anywhere, you don't want to go anywhere, you can you can stay. And, you know, you, you as a player have a contract honour with the club and the club have a contract honour with you. So both parties have an have equal say, I guess. And mutual ground is, you know, needs to be found. But for me, it was, it was really quite smooth to be honest. The club were Sunderland were transparent with me. were quite open and honest throughout. Um, from you know, the top 
top down, you know, the sporting director, the gaffer, was, was open honest and said, you know, at the time I was playing in the team, but there was there was a few boys injured. And I guess in the back of my mind, I wondered, you know, when them boys were back fit, would I still be given the chance to play? And and I and I was doing well. I did well in the team. And, you know, I've quite I've got quite an honest assessment of myself when I play and I'm my own worst critic. And I, I felt like I was doing well and maybe warranted a place to, to keep my to keep the shirt. But I knew that the players come back in were good players too. And also before they were injured, did really well. So um, I guess when the club said this is what the situation was, that when them boys are back fit, your game time would, could be and probably will be very limited. The club's moving in a direction where they've got a really good good core of young, talented players who who need to keep developing and playing games. And, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I like to think I've still got plenty of years left for sure. I've got a lot of ambitions to fill, but the club were honest with me. And I guess sometimes it's not what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. And I know a lot of times football clubs don't, tell that to the players, they might fill them with stuff that makes them feel good at the time but isn't necessarily the right thing or correct thing for them. In my case, some of them were open and honest. They said if opportunity for me come about to go on loan, that they'd be open to listening to it if, if they were happy with it and I was happy with it. Obviously, they have to agree with the club um, and I have to agree with the club I go to. But if it wasn't right, it wasn't right and I was more than, more than welcome to stay. But yeah, I guess... I probably wouldn't play as many minutes as I as I would like, and I guess you know the club were open and honest in that out loud in media, and and I think fans knew knew as well. I wasn't a player that was throwing my toys out the pram and like that to get out. I love loved my time at the club. Still am a Sunderland player, but when Rotherham gave me the opportunity, to, and they said they they want to bring me on loan and would like to bring me in to compete for places at the back, then you know I straight away thought that was the right one for me in terms of family life balance as well championship football good club good manager good players good staff and a good fan base so yeah I, I had other options and look it wasn't wasn't easy to say no to some and there's various other things going on a lot of my decision was around what was right for me and my family too but also my wife and kids know that I, I need to play on a Saturday I need that that fire in the belly I need that on a Saturday and you know, I've been managed to do both. I can I can be home and and still get that. So it's been it's been great and it's worked worked really well. So now I just need to make sure I uh, perform on the pitch and and can do well for Rotherham. And yeah, then from I guess my point of view, it's been a successful loan. But there's still a lot of work to do. It's funny the family life and the family dynamic. How quickly it changes. Like for Alex and the girls, quickly like you go from you know 15, 20 minutes up the road to Stadium of Light or the training facility. To now, how long is the travel and the commute to to Rotherham now? Every you know, every day. Yeah, it's. I mean, I was twenty minutes, half an hour away when I lived, obviously closer to Sunderland, and and now it's more like two hour drive in the morning and two hour drive home. And I guess hey, great, that's great, a balance great, great of, chance, great opportunity to listen to Dossard D on the way there back. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right. That's it's. Do you know what? A two hour drive is nice. It's you time in the car, listen to a podcast. You get up early, you have your coffee. Before you know it, you're training and, and it's been completely fine. Um, I'm in a hotel now, as you can see, so I don't do it every day. I try to keep the balance and, and look after the body as best as I can as well. But yeah, I guess, you know, when it is alone and it is, uh, you know, I guess it, to the end of the season, it is short term. And when you've got kids, you know, it's not, you don't want to just up them, move them, like you've said there, football. I guess it's unique in many ways and makes it special. But, you know, I guess within 24 hours, you can move and, be applying your trade elsewhere and many other industries. I guess you have time to to finish your job and move into a new job. Football moves fast. It's what you love about it, but it's also you know difficult for family balance. But we've managed we've managed really well. I'm, I'm lucky. Got an incredible wife who looks after our two girls when I'm not there, and you know it's a handful having two girls under two, even when we're both home. But it's the best, and so yeah, I'm 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 lucky to to be able to have both, which is which is great. Yeah, it's awesome, and we we love your family. You're very beautiful, and and the dogs. Do, Dennis is doing all right too. Just quickly, yeah, Dennis is still going good. He's he's getting old now. He's getting a little bit blind. Poor bugger. Yeah, we love. Quite we love. Off when you're trying to give him a treat, doesn't know what he's grabbing. But <laughs> oh. no, nah, he's he's still in good nick. He's doing oh, well good. for a bulldog. He's still fit and healthy. But yeah, he's bless him. He's he's getting on a little bit. We we love him. Um, can you just quickly before we kind of move on, just with the with the loan stuff, because you've obviously played for many years and you know what it's like being on. The other side, when new players come in and they might be there for four, five, six months, what's the general consensus around? I know you said the Rotherham guys are really good, the club's really good, but 
I'm talking more generically, but is it difficult as a player to accept guys coming in for a short period of time? And how did you how did you feel coming in to almost try and say to the boys, look, I'm here and I'm committed to you guys? Good question. I think the game's evolved a lot from what it used to be when when lone players used to come in. I think the old school mentality of make them feel an outsider doesn't really happen anymore. I think in football's pretty good. It's come a long way. The culture's I mean, I can't say I wasn't in football before I was in football. So, um, but from my experiences, you know, I've been lucky throughout my career. I've been in a good dressing room. Remember, I've been full of good professionals from when I was that young Aussie kid coming into the club at Preston North End. I felt welcome from senior pros then to everyone at the club. And I, I guess it's, you know, you got to earn the respect and you earn the respect by showing your commitment, not just saying you're committed. You do that by buying into the culture, respecting the environment and the rules of what you're in and, you know, just showing everyone respect and dignity, dignity, and I guess that earns you respect as well. And you know, I'm 30 years old now. I've, I've, I like to think I'm pretty experienced in the game. So when you go into a dressing room, you know, a lot of the players you've played against, or you you might know a few, or you've had a bit of beef with each other on the pitch. So it's a bit of a laugh when you bump into each other. But no, I think I guess as a senior player, when I've seen lads come in on loan at clubs I'm fully signed at, I think you treat every single one of them for who they are slightly differently and I mean that in a good way I think you get young lads that are getting their first taste of men's football which sometimes probably need a little bit more patience and a little bit less of t- telling more that more of asking if they're okay or what do they think of this or why did they do that or um, this is how we operate here these are the expectations and then with senior lads it's more a case of allowing them to to do what they think is right for them. So you, you're part of educating young lads and then also um, allowing individuals to be themselves. So there's a balance. And it, again, it's not just players on loan. It's young boys, you know, coming over from different countries. Football so so diverse now. The dressing room, it's incredible to learn off so many different people from different backgrounds, from different styles of football, coming from different cultures, different languages. It really is an opportunity to learn. So I think I've got my own... Um, motivations for going to Rotherham and you know ultimately I want to be out there winning games of football whether that's on the pitch or not obviously I want to play like everyone does and I respect people in my position and I think if I want respect I've got to show them respect and I think that's just a a given in any environment you go into for young lads senior lads um, is respecting where you're coming into learning the ropes and slowly maybe adding your experiences and value to the group. I'd love to go to the playoff final. That was amazing. I, I, I remember where I was. I was in. I was out. My girlfriend's got a van. We were on a like a family little weekend away. We we're in the back of the van. We had the projector set up. It was uh, shining on the van, and uh, unfortunately, the Wi-Fi was pretty poor, so it kept you know buffering, which was pretty shit. But that was massive, and that's your second playoff win at Wembley. I mean, you had that one a few years ago with Preston, which was a bit a massive deal for you. I remember talking about that with you. Um, when we were over there, because we we're having a laugh around our good friend Jeff Smale, but <laughs> yeah, oh <but>, Jeffy. <laughs> but this one, it just seemed—I don't know—it it, it didn't seem different, but it it just seemed massive. Sunderland's such a huge club; they've been, you know, Premier League club with such a proud and rich history f- forever. And within the space of three seasons, they went from Premier League to Championship to League One, and then you you come in, they went close. But didn't get promoted. Then, then again, they went it. They they had another crack at it, and they they got it. And Wickham, we got good friends who go for Wickham. You know, they were pretty distraught, but we were wrapped. So, mate, tell us how that was. And were the rumours true? Did they did they fly you in for that on the helicopter? Or was there something about this? Yeah. That, tell us because you were unwell yes. also, weren't you? Yeah, Alex, my wife, food poisoned me. Oh no. Um, on the Thursday, and I was sick as a dog. I think it was food poisoning because it was like, well, yeah, I was. I had a fever. I was throwing up all, I was over, all over the place. But, yeah, my preparation led into Wembley was not ideal at all. But I guess the whole lead-up in the months before is us as a club, I think. I think from when we appointed Alex Neal as manager, I think we lost one. he lost one game. Wow. That Once he came in the door, we just went on an absolute – it was like a steam train coming through. And you could feel it, the belief, the momentum of the club – the fan base and I guess it was it was massive for numerous reasons when you're at Sunderland you feel you have to get to know what why the fans are the way they are and why they're so passionate and what they've been through and 
like how much the club means to them. And you can see they've had the lows, they've had the crap, they've had, you know, just the frustrations of going like going to watch their team on a Saturday and Tuesday and and feeling low. And, you know, that low sticks with them all week. So to be part of the group that was giving them them highs after high after high, but ultimately all that mattered was if you got promoted at Wembley, this was life or death to them. And like that's that's what the football club means. It's it's incredible. The support of thirty five thousand sort of average of every home game, even in League One, is just crazy. Mm. Like it's ridiculous. And then the following we had at Wembley was just I remember we walked out, stood there. I can't even remember what, what song was about to get played. I can't even remember the bit that happened just afterwards. All I remember is we stood there and then all you could hear was just Sunderland fans just drowned out the whole of Wickham, the whole stadium was just Sunderland. And it was like everyone just stopped and like everything just went in slow motion. It was just like taking in the whole occasion of what we're about to do. And it was like, oh, we're winning this. There's no way we're not winning this. I remember it's the first time ever, ever in my life, I felt like I was getting a tear. Like I felt really emotional before the game was about to kick off. I've never had that before. I've always, I'm focused, but I've never had that where I'm like, holy crap, this is crazy. Like, look at this. There was like kangaroos bouncing around everywhere and Aussie flags and that it was incredible. Like the support I've had from felt from that club and all us boys and to to be able to give them that day made it all worth it. The tough times, I guess the odd times of getting booed off or losing or you know, the high expectations that the club has. It's a it's a privilege to go somewhere like that where there's pressure on every single game. There's an expectation on every single game. You don't get that at many clubs to that level. And it can be really difficult. It demands a lot of you. But God, when you when you get it right and you get to experience that, it's like no other. And you know, I nearly thought for a moment there that it wasn't really going to happen for plan for me when I, I woke up on three a.m. on Thursday morning and I was thrown up everywhere and I was just shivering, had the shivers, couldn't get out of bed. I literally just went completely weak. And uh, I remember messaging the physio and doctor, thinking, and I'm just like, I'm not in a good way here. And it was like, right, just. Stay hydrated, eat when you can, and we'll see. I was like, I'm, I'm coming in Friday. I need to do something Friday. So the whole Thursday was them coming up with a plan in case I had gastro or something like that because obviously I didn't want anyone else in the group to get this because I was hanging. Um, I was literally in bed all day. It's probably one of the illest I've ever felt. Was it coming out of both ends? It was coming out of everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a pickle, mate. And then the, obviously I had a few phone calls with the gaffer and – sporting director Christian and everyone at the club and Alex Neal obviously the gaffer called me he's like right trying to come up with a plan to get you down to Wembley without getting everyone ill but also like it's a decent old trip because we're playing Saturday so I said how do you feel about a helicopter and I was like Jesus Christ never been on a helicopter I don't mind flying but helicopters scare the shit out of me and I thought what is the best thing he's like look we can get you a, get you a car obviously they were all the boys were flying down to London Get your car, but obviously London traffic, you just don't know what that journey can be from Sunderland to to thingy. You, you, you know, it's not ideal, but is what it is. Or we can get your helicopter and get you there and I think it was like an hour and a half or something like that. So I was like, who the hell, who's sorting this helicopter out? <laughs> but the, the club, fairness to them, they, they obviously wanted to make sure, you know, that I could feel my best going into that game. I'd played every single minute under Alex Neal. And, you know, it was going to take a lot to to keep me out of Wembley. I was never going to not be there. No way. So, yeah, they they said, yeah, sent me the details, this helicopter. So, actually, rewind a little bit. Friday, I come in. I was feeling better Friday morning. Still hadn't really eaten, to be honest, but I was feeling a lot better as you start to do. So, I went into training and I wasn't allowed in the building. So, they brought, my, brought the stuff out to my car. I'm getting changed in the car. I literally walked straight into pitches. Did like a little bit of the session, didn't go near any of the lads really, like kept the distance and then did set pieces. And then that was it. I went to go like tell the kit man where I wanted my boots. They're like, don't you dare go in this building. I was like, well, I need like, those who know me, I'm, I wouldn't say it's superstition, but I'm very routine. Like I like to do the right things all the time. If I don't tick the boxes, and I don't feel like I'm doing the right things. I feel like I've cheated myself and not given myself the best chance to perform. And that's how I like my routine was out of whack. And I'm like, oh, it's like, right what's the next best thing I can do that's in my control? Like that's a, that's how I prepare for everything. I've always been like that every day for training, every day for games. And I hope it gives me longevity in my, in my career. So everything was out of whack. So then right, Friday I'm driving home, 
I get home and then I get sent the details, right? Helicopter's getting you at two o'clock or something in the afternoon from this golf course around the corner from my house. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm just turn up at a golf course and jump on a helicopter. I was like, felt weird. So I pulled up the golf course and they're like expecting me. They've shut down the golf driving range and they've cut a big helicopter circle in the middle of the golf driving range, like for the helicopter to land there. Helicopters landed, jumped on it. And on the whole way there, I'm like holding on, sweating, hour and a half to Wembley. And it was actually a really nice day, nice journey. But I still was just thinking, that stops. It's just dropping. It's not, I just couldn't get that out of my head. But yeah, getting in London, we fly over Wembley. I was like, this is meant to be. I'm getting a little taste, a little look at Wembley. No one else got to see that the day before, but I did. I started to get my head, head around it. And I was like, right. Got the hotel before everyone and literally, again, wasn't with anyone, didn't eat with any of the boys. People were, had, it was quite funny. I had like all the staff, I'm like sending my food order in from the buffet and they're putting it all on plates and bringing it to my room. <laughs> I felt like the most, uh, I felt so stupid doing that. I hate like people no doing no things food. for me. I, I just hate when people do things for me. Like I didn't like it, but everyone went above and beyond and, yeah, the first time I really saw all the boys and probably sat down with everyone was pretty much going to Wembley. So I hadn't been in any of the meetings, nothing, just turned up. <laughs> Obviously, I'd done my prep. We have apps like Cold Huddle Week and watch clips on people and I guess watch the, you know, the plan for games and the gaffer went through it with me and it makes it really clear and very precise to understand what's expected. And I think I knew that. I'd worked with him you know, long enough to, to know what he expected from me and what the game plan would be. So just go out there, perform and do your thing and... By Saturday, I can, I'll be honest, I completely forgot that I was ill. Like, I was that focused on it. I was drained afterwards, but um, what a day. What a day. How, how close did you have to, like, to the game, did you have to prove your fitness? Or when did they tick off and say you're, you're definitely starting? Uh, I told the gaffer, like, I'll, I'll be fine. Like, on Thursday when I was feeling like crap. And it was just like, yeah, I know you will. And if you're not, stiff shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're not, but, were you wearing white uh, shorts? Hopefully, it wasn't white shorts, was it? <laughs> nah. Oh, thank God they were black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it was. Uh, oh, oh, there was no doubt in my mind that anything was going to kick me out. Even if the game was on that Thursday, I would have done something and been out there. You work too hard to miss out on moments like that. Even yeah. if it meant throwing up and, you know few dodgy runs in the dressing room during the game or whatever. But no, the club made it as best as possible for me to be able to go out there and perform and, you know, have a memorable day. I had, my wife was there and obviously we couldn't have our little girl there because of Wembley rules. You couldn't have um, young kids at the game, but, and my mum and dad flew over for it. So uh, we had some really close friends, Faith, Johnny and their daughter, Eva come, who was old enough to come. So it was great to have all them there and experience that day with them. It was, uh, it was special. Was there an interaction at all with any specific fan or fans after that win that you might have a story that you now go, even though I know you're playing for Rotherham now, you you didn't realise how much it meant to someone until you, maybe, maybe it was tears, maybe it was Bailey, I've been, you know, mate, I've waited so long for this. It might not have been on the day, it might have been after. Was there an interaction in the street even that maybe someone came up to you and you, you just went, fuck, like, it's amazing that, I was able to do that, make someone just make make their make their decade, like make just make them so happy. Yeah. Do you know what the the people you noticed it with was the people in the club that have been through it all. And football, the environment's always changing. The players, staff, coaching staff, many of the staff had changed, but there was so many there that had been been the club for so long. I didn't, Lady Joycey, like every day, every weekend, she'd be wishing you luck. She was desperate for us to win. So. To be able to see the smile on her face and knowing that everyone had a great summer, knowing that we all achieved, and it's not just the players and the coaching staff. There's you know staff throughout the club achieved the goals that we all set out to. When you come to the club, you want to experience them days, and everyone plays their part um, little by little across the whole building. They're the ones that live with you. That you, for example, you look for certain moments. And I guess it's kind of a collective. When I've gone on loan to Rotherham. I had so many nice messages from Sunderland fans and I reckon 90% of them were said, thank you for one of the best days of our life at Wembley. So you're like, well, like that means a lot to you as a player. You're like, well, I've just give someone a pretty incredible day for their family. There's some incredible photos that kick about of fans with, you know, dads and their kids or granddads and their kids and grandparents and their kids or partners or, or the random fan just embracing the moment. I had a lot of messages before Wembley, people sending me, 
their Aussie get up for the game. And I didn't reply to any of them, although I wanted to. I was just like, nah, I'm just focusing on the game. Had a lot of people twittering and Instagram and and then I obviously made a well, not made an effort. I couldn't miss it because there was kangaroos and flags and Aussie the hats everywhere. And I was just like, God, this is incredible. Like there was flocks of them all over the stadium. And I was like, these are mental. This moment will live in me forever. Yeah, I guess there's not one particular moment, but you know, throughout that summer, you just know that everyone had a spring in their step across the whole of Sunderland. Staff, players, fans, everyone. And when you experience a, a summer and go into a season and obviously the boys are flying now and, and having a good season as well. So that momentum carries. And I, I hope it continues for the club because it's a special club. How did the celebrations compare to the to the Preston one? Obviously, this time you're a father of two. So uh, maybe a little bit different, but how were the celebrations? Yeah, Preston was a funny one because we didn't we didn't organise anything for that because we'd we jinxed ourselves and missed out on automatic promotions and but it was still an incredible occasion. And then with Sunderland, it was they we said win or lose, we're all going back to a hotel and we'll all have dinner together. Fam family and friends are welcome. So obviously when you win, you're buzzing. We're going back to the hotel, we've got the trophy, everyone's friends and family are there, there's drink, there's food, the club have put everything on for everyone. Yeah. And we're all staying at the hotel. And uh, it was just awesome to see everyone in with their friends and family that obviously, you know, some you've met, some you haven't met. There's various different family members. You get to meet them all and everyone's just, just pure love fest. Everyone's just so happy for each other and just everyone's buzzing to enjoy the day they've just experienced. And then we all went out together and uh, Alex was, she was really heavily pregnant with, with Tia who's now been born. But so we, she come out and we went out and we actually went home quite early. You know, she was, you know, feeling uncomfortable as you do when when you're really heavily yeah. pregnant and Tia, Tia wasn't far off. So a few boys stayed out and partied hard and staff and players, everyone was in, in the club together. We went back and yeah, I just remember sitting, uh, we drove back to, to Sunderland the next day, back to Durham and just sitting in the back of the car, just sinking a few beers. My old man roped Alex into driving, which was great, <laughs> sit in the back and just relax all the way back and just thought, oh, what next? Wow. What next? Yeah. And it literally was that. Like, enjoyed the moment and you just wish it could last forever. And then you, you kind of want it again. And I got that with Australia. I got another taste of yeah. a special, special few games, which was, you know, if I'd have said to you boys, probably in January when you boys were over, I, I, I saw everything happening in front of me the way it did. I probably wouldn't have believed it, if I'm honest. But that's the beauty of football. You work away, work away, work away, and you never know when your rewards might come. Yeah. And, it all sort of kick-started with that yeah. and continued for the year. That's probably a great little segue into the, the next big thing, which is obviously going to the, the World Cup, which was just insane. And then I, I'm just picturing you, you you, and your dad sitting in the back seat. I'm just picturing that vision of your dad when you got those minutes against Denmark. And I think there was some vision of on the Socceroo socials and he was just like, he finally got his minutes. Like he finally got his time, and I just, I, even for me, I was like, "Yes!" Like, and I, we, we'll share a couple of stories too because that was that, it was massive here in Australia, was, as you know and as you saw. Like it was insane. We had a very big night on one of the, uh, I think it was which game was it? Tunisia. Tunisia. Yeah. When when they won one nil, yeah. when you guys won one nil, but mate, Square was rocking. Oh, it was going nuts. But maybe that before we get into the actual getting over to Qatar and. And being a part of it, the, the actual, the news and the announcement of, of making the squad, you know, I remember it, it like it's, it's tight for spots. Um, you missed out on the last one in 2018, which we spoke about when you were on here last time. So the idea of you missing out again would have been just gut wrenching and, and you got in. So I, I'd love to hear how you found out. Was it guaranteed? Was it not? Was Arnie, did he call you? What was it? Yeah, I think I've been in and out of the sort of qualifying campaign and I guess I'd always, you know, the run of Sunderland obviously helped me massively and I was playing good football. I was part of a big club who achieved success and I guess Arnie saw that. He, he knew me as a person, he knew what I was like and obviously it helps when, when you're playing week in, week, in, week out and, and doing well. So when he gave me the opportunity to play in those qualifiers, I played all three in, in June and obviously the the big one against Peru, you know, it kind of gave me added confidence and an opportunity to show what I could do and what I could bring to the table. I guess it was my my chance really. And you know, I know football changes quickly, and that doesn't guarantee you anything. But I felt like I'd 
really shown what what I was about. And then it was more a case of yeah, just focusing on club football to perform and and give yourself the best chance for a call up for the World Cup. And my wife was due. We were due to have our second baby Tia the same time we had the two games against New Zealand. So I'd obviously I'd spoke to Arnie a lot around that, and he was brilliant. He he knew how important it was for me to be here for my wife and here for the birth of our baby girl. And he was like, look, if your baby comes and and it works well, we'll fly you straight out. I want you to be here. You're an important part of these plans. And we, we'd love to have you here and play at least in one of these games. But again, if it doesn't work out, family first, especially when you know, you're know you having a kid and it's a special moment. So I, I can't thank Arnie enough for being understanding about that. And you know, my wife, Tia, ended up coming a little bit late and there was no chance I could, could fly out there and, and play. And we had, obviously... Alex's mum wasn't well as well at the time and unfortunately she's passed and she passed whilst, you know, whilst at the World Cup. So that was a tough, tough period and she was going through a lot as well. So it was important to be there for her and the girls and, and Arnie knew that and was completely, you know, understanding of the situation. So like I said, I thank him, thank him for that when I know many other people probably wouldn't be as understanding, would probably just look at it as whatever. But Arnie's, yeah, a good bloke and, I, you know, that that will always, always remember that. But I knew there was no guarantees in getting called up to the squad for the World Cup. I knew there was some some bloody good competition, some really good players all over that pitch. I don't think anyone was like super confident going to the squad, and I certainly wasn't after experiencing what I what I experienced. I guess missing out on Russia. I remember, I guess the polar opposites of emotions of Russia. I sat there in Mykonos doing my yoga every day, training to be ready to go to the World Cup, trying to get a little bit of a break beforehand, and. And I remember the day the day the squad was meant to get announced, although I thought I would have got told, I was sat there and d- didn't want to leave the villa until I knew what we were, uh, leave, not leave our hotel until I knew what we were doing. And I remember saying to my wife, I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I thought we were meant to get told at like 10am this morning about the call up. And, she, and I was like, I'll just wait. Maybe they're just getting around to letting everyone know and we'll say with, whether you're in or not. And the message never come. And I was a bit like, Phew. Maybe I've got the date wrong. So I messaged Joel Frame, who was the team's general manager and organised everything, and messaged him saying, hey, mate, uh, what time's the squad get announced? Like, to us personally, before it gets publicly announced. And then my phone rang, like, five minutes later from Joel, and I remember answering it, and he's like, swat, quiver and nervous voice, not himself. And I'm thinking, this don't seem right. And he's like, look, mate, I'm gutted to have to tell you this news. Really didn't want to have to tell you this, but you're not in the squad I didn't even make thirty man squad, and that shocked me. Thought I would at least make that be part of the training camp, especially because I played a lot of football. But doesn't guarantee you anything. New manager come in and had his own idea, so that devastated me. So I guess this time I was sat on the sofa with Alex, and my phone was sat between us. And then ping message comes up, and I'm like, "That's the message." And she's like, "Can I read it to you?" I was like, "Go on." So she read it, and uh, yeah, obviously it was me being selected for. The squad was obviously a much longer message than just that, but just overwhelming joy and relief and satisfaction and just sense of, right, here we go. Like time to work, let's go do something here. And then and then Arnie called me and we had a really good chat and he was just being typical Arnie, just buzzing, buzzing for me, telling us about the plans and how we'll straight away, we're going to go do something special here, better than any Australian, Australian team's ever done before the World Cup. And that message wasn't just sent from the phone. He'd been sending that message to us for four years. We'd been done so much work on team culture and togetherness and work ethic and what it means to be a socceroo and what it means to, you know, be in this room with these people. And he just reinforced that message, reinforced, 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 where it was like so ing- like ingrained and just in us. But you knew every time it was like one big family, but you knew what we were there to do. So to go and do what we did and be part of that was just... Crazy, better than any Australian team's ever done before at a World Cup. Yeah, you know, I only played twenty minutes, thirty minutes, but like, phew, lived every moment of it like it was going to be my last. I think we all did, and we just just the buzz you felt for each other, for families, for the country, like seeing the scenes at F- Fed Square, like seeing us through that to Australia, like phew, little geezer from Lang Warren being part of that was just sometimes you got to pitch yourself and really take in what you achieve, but then. It's short-lived, it goes, it moves on, and it's history. 
we were sitting in our when um, well we'll never forget this and i think i sent you a message too we were sitting in our lounge room just us two just us two and it was what six in the morning when that I game th- or was think, it even I earlier i think denmark was early i think denmark was like two i think denmark might have been 2 a.m australian time yeah it was it was early and we were sitting there and we're watching the game and obviously when australia scored we went ballistic we're screaming and shouting but I think it raised another level when uh, <laughs> when B Wright got announced to come onto the pitch. We went nuts, and oh. I, I said, "I think we told the neighbours they think we're doing one up." <laughs> Is that why he's got kicked out of the apartment? Yeah, I think so, <laughs> mate. That, that might be why, I mate. Right, we were so excited. Tell us about that moment, like for you. How much time did you get to prepare? Was it a little plan prior to the game that you may come on, or you know? But yeah, talk to us about that moment when you got your minutes. Yeah, no, it was. I think it's like any time you're on the bench, you're uh, you got to be ready to come on, and I'm always ready. If it meant click of the fingers and manager wants you on, I'm kitted and ready to go. And I was warming up for for a little while actually. I was warming up when Lex scored the goal, and it was at the time, Arnie's sort of saying, "Keep warm, get warm." I'm sure that once we scored. Or even before we scored, even a draw might have been enough. But then other result, I think Tunisia started beating Japan and it was like we needed to win. And all these whispers on the sideline and Milos gets a message and he tells the boys, he's like, Tunisia beating France, we've got to win this. And then we scored. I'm thinking, right, I could come on here and maybe just throw another body in the fence and see this result out. So I just stayed warm, stayed out there. And then I look up and I'm getting the nod, like, come on, you're coming on. And they just brought on, you know, they brought on a bit of firepower and they're a big striker and... And it was like, right, come on. And I remember Arnie's like, obviously you get given all your set piece rules and where you're meant to be and your jobs and stuff like that. And I already knew all that. I'd read all that before the game. So I was ready to go. And then Arnie just went, please, just please. <laughs> please. And I was like, no pressure, Arnie. <laughs> It sounds like something we would say. That's like that's the head coach of Australia just pleading with Bailey Wright, saying, "Please keep a clean sheet." Yeah, and and that was all I was thinking in my head. I was like, "Please, Bailey, just do this job when you come on." I'll send it to myself. So, you know, Arnie lived and breathed. He's more. He's you know he shows his passion and he he's incredible. And I obviously I I run through I run through a brick wall to get out on that pitch and, and do it for him. And he gave me the chance. So there's no way I was not I was making sure I played my part. And mm. you know, it's always difficult sometimes trying to pick up the speed of a game, but you're at a World Cup. I don't think you can get much more motivation or energy than than what that gives you. And, you know, we always fed off each other. And he always talks about energy in the group and what we can bring each other with our enthusiasm, our personalities, our togetherness. And that's really what we were. We just had so much energy. Boys were churning out game after game with very little recovery against some of the best players in the world at the biggest tournament in the world. To be able to do that physically is incredible. And, you know, the likes of, you know, there's a few boys here I could highlight, but Harry Suter, mate, what he did at that World Cup after the injury and rehab he'd been through to get there. Incredible, mate, to go back to back to back and play all them games and be out of football for so long. I, I, I don't know if people can quite really understand how incredible that is. And obviously he's got his move now to into the Premier League with Leicester. So you share those journeys, all them boys, and we all like I know if it had been me on the pitch, he would have wanted me to do well. Like he was there when we beat Peru and he was, you know, laying out the kit for us before the game to go and play because wow. he just wanted to be part of it. So then to see him out there doing that, like that kind of that's just one example of what the group was all about. That's good bloke mentality. Wanna see each other do well. You do well for your mate, they do well for you. That's literally like that mateship and that togetherness from staff and players. That kind of just bundles all that up just there. And yeah, to get on that pitch and, you know, I'd been to 2014 World Cup and didn't get on, but it was an incredible experience to then go one step further and, and get out on that pitch. You know, I've got a really good photo as well of, and I actually got sent this photo just randomly from, I think it was a fan on Instagram who'd taken a photo behind my mum and dad. So they're looking at me going on. So they see them with, my name on the back of their shirts and the number. And then in the distance is me getting subbed on. And the photos, like, I've not even shared the photo. Like, I've, I've seen it, fan, Yeah. He said, just randomly got sent on Instagram. I was like, what a photo. Like, thank you to that person because, like, it's one of the best photos. And that means a lot to obviously have them there. And unfortunately, like I said, Alex was, um, it was tough. There was a, you know, a bit of a, a, a disappointing moment after that. Well, very, very sad time after the game when, you know, we later found out 
I sort of found out after the game, after we'd, you know, we had the the highs in the dressing room of, you know, being the DJ and playing all the music to then having the message come through from my wife shortly after that, that her mum was unresponsive now and unfortunately she passed that night. So, yeah, it was um, a sad day to know that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be there and support her and the girls and her family. I was sort of over here, over in Qatar, just living my childhood dream, but it come at a come at a real sacrifice. And I guess she made that possible. And it wasn't wasn't easy, mm. but um, yeah, getting on that pitch was was incredible. And uh, I know I know deep down, her mum knew that I'd made my debut at the World Cup, so that will I'll always remember that as well. Yeah, mate. Yeah, when that all happened as well. I can't imagine the the bittersweetness of it, and not knowing you, mate, the caring and giving person, selfless person you are. Like the first thing you want to do is probably just fly back and be with Alex. But knowing Alex, she's complete opposite. Just no, I'm okay. Like I can only imagine that's what she would have said to you: is that you're met, you you are where you're meant to be. Yeah, no, she she knew how much it meant to me to be there, and uh, look, it wasn't easy. She's a tough cookie. She still does have a lot going on, but she had a lot going on, and. You know, I guess when you're a footballer, oh, it sounds terrible. Yeah, you, ha- you have you have to be, I guess, in many ways, selfish. And I guess my selfish kills you to say it many many ways. But I guess my total dream was to go to World Cup, and you know, mm. I'd, I'd hope that her mum could obviously have been around with us a lot longer. Unfortunately, she wasn't, and I wasn't there, and I have to live with that, which is tricky. But yeah, I know she she wanted me to to live my my dream and um, be part of that. And, you know, it meant a lot to her and her, her family and, and everyone. And, yeah, I mean, I would, have, I would have liked to have been there. But, unfortunately, yeah, I wasn't. So, it's, like I said, it's something that I'll always – I think I'll always think what was the right or wrong thing to do. That's natural to, to think that in any situation. Is, it's never easy to, to get that decision right. But, yeah, overall, obviously, the highs of – highs of playing the World Cup and then and those lows of you know Alex's mum passing which was mm. not nice for for the family she she was a, an incredible incredible lady and you know would have been been nice there to, to to send my love but I think you know deep down she knew that that I was I was mm. thinking about her yeah well said mate it's uh I can't imagine how tough that would be on, on the back of something you've worked for your entire life and probably one of the biggest highs of your life to to maybe one of the Lowest lows, it, it, yeah, it's amazing, mate. I want Doss to share a story about the World Cup towards it. Well, we're getting close to the end of this podcast anyway, and that will hopefully put a smile on your face. But I just want to quickly ask one more question about Qatar itself. What did you think of the, the setup of it all as a player? Because we we hear a lot of rumors over here that you know some players are loving it, and from the Australian camp, it sounded like everybody bought right in, and other teams perhaps not. What did you think of the whole part of the world for a World Cup? Yeah, I think. Qatar is always, I guess, evolving and trying to improve on things they need to improve on, which I think we've we've said a lot about in in statements that we made as a group. But in terms of the tournament and you know the hospitality we received, we played a lot of our qualifying qualifying campaign in Qatar, and you know they really made us feel welcome and looked after us really well, and kind of become our second home. So we we knew. What it was like playing in the heat. We knew we knew what a lot of the grounds were like, training grounds and stadium. So, I guess we kind of said, "Look, this is our second home. We're having a, a World Cup at our second home. Um, we'd played there that many times, and we were really spoiled as you are when you represent your country. The World Cup, you get the best of the best. And you know, the Aspire Academy was where we were set up. We literally looked outside our, you know, we had little apartment rooms, and um, I, sh- I shared with Keanu Bacchus who was great to meet him for the first time and share the journey he went on there was incredible you know a young lad kind of around it for I guess his second camp I think it was so to see him going I- it kind of reminded me of the 2014 World Cup in many ways except he got on and played loads of games and it did incredible so it was cool to see that but the facilities we had were just class like pitches were just there we had games rooms we had Food was all like we had our chef Vinny come over and he's just oh, awesome, legend. Absolutely. Coffee, legend. coffee. Yeah, we had a little cafe set up and coffee was incredible. We were re- really like just trying to make it a home, home for us. And yeah, I, I guess you have all them great facilities, but we had some great, some great people, great staff, a lot of people in the background doing so much work to make 
our life's easier on the pitch. And yeah, I guess that's always the Aussie setup. You've people go above and beyond to to do what they can. Everyone wants to be in that environment and knows how special it is to be there from players to staff mm. to anyone that gets a feel of the environment. It's it's special. It's um it's yeah, it's so good to be around. It's you can see when young lads come in, they feel included they feel part of it and senior boys or anyone who's been part of it wants to be part of it more and more so no it was I thought this the stadiums were really good the setup my mum and dad really enjoyed visiting and being part of the world cup and had nothing but you know I guess positive words to say I think there's a lot of unfinished buildings and maybe hotels or apartment buildings that you know people stayed in because so much was getting built in so little time and I guess obviously there's criticisms that that can come from anything, but from our point of view, it was a, a successful tournament. What part did Timmy Cahill play in that? Because I know he's over there, and you know, re- listening to the news, he it sounded like he had a bit to do with the boys getting looked after the way they did. What was his involvement? Did he have any involvement? I saw he was you know within the camp for a day, a couple of days training. What what was his involvement? Yeah, he was. If I don't know how you'd put an exact title on it. Um, <laughs> But I, I guess Timmy was like just Timmy. He was there every day. He was like he still had his boots on in many ways. He was he's around lads when they you know when maybe they needed a little bit of advice or an arm around them. He was there helping staff. He was there in the background making sure things were running smoothly. He then had his boots on and would join in training and <laughs> still be like the Timmy of old, who's just a competitor. You know, someone who sets high standards. So he kind of had this role that yeah, I don't know if you could just pinpoint it, but he kind of made it feel like a relaxed environment he'd been there done it and just kind of took the pressure off in a in a weird way of you know forgetting not forgetting you're at a world cup but just just remembering it's your job is you're doing what you're doing and you do that and then you'll perform and sometimes it's just yeah relieving that pressure of just a, a calm presence around the place whether that be on the pitch whether that be logistics of you know behind the scenes stuff we don't see he, he organised, I think it was him that organised some recovery facilities that, you know, obviously he's got a big role in, in Qatar and at the Aspire Academy as chief sports officer there, which is an incredible gig and he really does know everyone there. And I think, you know, obviously having that connection, he made sure we were well looked after. We had, you know, recovery pools and use of facilities. We had the Aspire Academy, you know, which I'm sure a lot of that wouldn't have been possible without his contacts, without, without him and, Ultimately, he's just doing it because he wants what's best for Australian football. So, mm. um, obviously, great person, an absolute legend of the game, and always will be. But he's obviously still doing a lot of work for the game when um, a lot probably don't notice. So, uh, credit to him, and I think it was a great, great, great person to have around the place and share his experiences and leadership skills with not only young lads but our senior boys as well that I guess have, have been around the block too. Just, just quickly, all four games. It just seemed like when you saw the vision, the boys in the locker room, um, you mentioned culture. It just seemed like they were just more together than anything we've ever seen, the, the soccerers lineup. You know, the whole squad, everyone just seemed on a mission. And seeing the, the vision of Arnie and he's walking within the circle and he's speaking, he's, you know, using specific words. And like we make it out of the group stage for the first time since 06 and we play Argentina, who end up going to win. Can you speak on just that experience and the enormity of it and, and how you guys prepared for that specific game? Because really, it went to the wire. We really should have equalized and probably should have went to extra time because that last 10 minutes was just so chaotic. I know you didn't get on the pitch, but can you talk us through the preparation of that game and how did Arnie treat it? Like, Did he speak like we're playing Argentina or is it we're just playing the blue team? Like, It doesn't matter who it is, like how big they are. We can beat these lads. Yeah, no, it was. We, I guess we kind of treated like every other every other game that we played. It was the culture. The culture doesn't happen overnight. Culture comes from a process of a buy-in of a collective. You know, Mike Conway do a lot of work with with Arnie and the boys, and a lot of it, you know, is, is Arnie's vision and what he wanted and and what he believed we could achieve with this group. And then the next thing was getting all us to believe, and we certainly did. And like I said, that doesn't just happen overnight. That is a process that that had been going on for years. And lads who have played together knew what it meant to wear that shirt, knew what it meant to be part of the group. And I guess you never know when it could be your last time to pull on that shirt. And you have to make the most of every single moment you get. And you know, anyone who's retired from international football or football will always tell you, cherish those moments because you really do not know when it when it's done, it's done and you'll miss it. Whether you're still in coaching or not, you'll miss playing. 
and those those words resonate. I think when you really listen and and yeah, the the preparation from Argentina was you know we went into that game believing we could beat Argentina and kick on again, and it was you know they were just white and blue shirts with numbers on their back. You know, number ten was a pretty good player, and he was just known <laughs> as number ten, and that's where it was. And you know we we try to play the game, not the occasion, and and that's what we did many times. And you know credit to Matty Ryan as well, obviously the skipper and. He he led a you know a lot of player led discussions and meetings throughout the course of of the World Cup and the qualifying campaign and got boys to openly speak about I guess what it means and what ex, you know those experiences shared from from boys that have been to a World Cup and have played in a World Cup some some were there for their third World Cup sharing their stories of what it, what it meant to them and what regrets they maybe had from the previous ones and why they weren't going to let those things happen this time and shared that with young lads and then young lads shared, shared to the group what it meant to them. So when you get a group to be open and vulnerable to, in front of each other like that, you know, you connect and you get stronger and stronger and you could really see that, you know, some people shared their motivations and then you could see the person alongside them sort of buy in and go, right, I care about you achieving that. I'm going to go dig for you and versa. And that was really happening in the group. And like I said, a lot of it was, you know, Arnie's vision and led from from top down. But, you know, I think, don't know if he gets much credit. Well, I think he does get a lot of credit, but I think, you know, people from the outside don't see those things that, that Matty did a lot of the time to bring the group together. And I don't know if he's been a captain before at his clubs, but, you know, it certainly suited him. And he, and I just think he went from strength to strength to, to continue to grow. And you could see he had the respect and the group really wanted to listen to what he had to say and he wanted what was best for obviously for the group and for himself and you know it's good when you've got good leaders like that I was always learning I think um, you know a good leadership group of boys that complemented each other that had Matty's back and pushed each other and looked after certain different things whether that happened naturally or by design you know kind of a test of the testament to the to the group and the culture we'd, we'd instilled that we're Aussies you know most of the time we're, we're pretty good blokes that are hard working and, and want what's best for each other and I guess we just amplified that and really took it on to another level surely just for half a second though you said obviously number 10 was a pretty decent play you can play a little bit of football but you know and i understand the mentality and i totally believe you and i and i bet i know everybody would have bought in but surely for half a second when he's standing right in front of you or he runs past you just have a quick glimpse and just a bit of an out-of-body experience <laughs> did, did that happen yeah. did you look at him and go holy shit like <laughs> he's on the pitch yeah, right there was, in front of me yeah of course you do you know like you do that with some of the French boys and you just like some of the stuff they do, you admire it and you go, that's why they're world-class and it's where we all want to be, right? That's the the dream as a kid is to be Messi, to be Ronaldo. You know, if you fall short, you know, it's it's not too bad if you fall short because it's a good target to have because they're incredible. I didn't play, but just to see him in the flesh and obviously he scored against us, which, you know, infuriates you because, you know, you really want to be the ones to stop him, but... You know, if you wanted anyone to win that World Cup, I think, you know, really from a football fan and lover point of view, you you want to see Messi win the World Cup. So the rest of the world can thank us for giving him that opportunity one day. <laughs> Messi will always remember that we give him the pathway to go to the World Cup one day and win the World Cup. But no, it's moments like that you cherish when people say, who's the best player you played against or who you've seen in the flesh. Boys did really well against him. and I think they really nullified him in that game. So it just shows that we're a really good team and, yeah, who knows? Maybe one day we'll be producing our own Messi. It'll be great for Aussie football. That's it. That's it. Well, mate, we've uh, we've taken up a lot of your time. We really appreciate it. It's been actually over 100 episodes since you last joined us, can you believe? So wow. it's been a lot, but I'll quickly just very briefly. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I want to share it. What Are we talking about this, the story? Yeah. Do you want me to share it? Yeah, just uh, briefly, very brief version. Uh, well, the Tunisia game, first game. Bailey, you know how much I love it. I love the the Socceroos and, or any football. I love it. But that first game, we haven't won that won a game since 06. It was massive to the point where I, I, I had to have all the boys together. So I, I made a bit of a Facebook event. I said, lads, this is a big deal for me. Can we all get together? So about 15 lads, we all went to the pub just up the road from our place. And it was great. Everyone was in this. I made everyone wear a scarf. I made everyone get the colors on, didn't I? There was a lot of number eights, I must say. Yeah. yeah and I just said, yeah, yeah a few <laughs> of the jerseys you've given me, we all had them on. You know, we're all at the pub and having a few pints, many pints, and then we win. We decide to go out. So we go out and it's a big night. Like it's probably one of the biggest nights I've had in a long, long time. I'm not a massive drinker, 
So to go out and do that, it was big. So we get home around 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. And then the next day I had a family Christmas. So somehow I'm at this family Christmas. My girlfriend picked me up. We went, got a call from one of my mates who stayed at our house. And he said, hey, mate, do you remember last night at all? I was like, not really. And he just said, well, you don't remember like waking up in the morning and what happened? I said, nah. So this might be the reason why we got kicked out. He goes, we're sleeping in the lounge room. And I just heard this like, and apparently I'd walked out like completely like starkest and I'm just weeing all over the lounge room floor, like all all over the carpet, blase. And then they woke up like, dos, dos, dos. And then I don't remember it at, at all. Um, and then the funniest bit about it, the funniest bit about it is D that whole next day, he vacuumed that whole landry room floor barefoot and was standing in the dampness and didn't know. <laughs> no idea. Cause I put him, I put him to bed that night. He doesn't remember it, but we literally had, I can't remember who was playing. I think well, it doesn't matter who was playing, but we were watching the football and Dosh was asleep. There was sausage rolls. France shit. and someone. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was Denmark. France, Denmark and, France. and the, yeah, he shoved sausage rolls into the ground, like party pies everywhere. I put him to bed and the next day cleaned up and then I, I cleaned the house thoroughly and I come back the next day and he's on his hands and knees with like carpet, like clean on. I'm like, what are you doing, mate? And he goes, you don't know, do you? And I said, no, what are you on about? And then obviously I heard that story, yeah. but and then we got kicked out. Then so. we got kicked out, yeah. but mate, oh. thank you so much. We know, you know, still you're in the middle of a season right now. You're in a hotel room. You're playing against the greatest team in the championship in a, in a couple of days. So, <laughs> so go easy on them, mate. Need, need a point or two or three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really appreciate you, mate. You've, um, you know, everything you did for us when we were in England, you know, it was an honor for us to spend time with you, but, and you looked after us so well. And yeah, mate, we just appreciate it. We love it. We'll be back very, very soon. <laughs> yeah. Let us know when you boys fancy another game. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll cook you a nice dinner again. <laughs> maybe sounds- take you for fish and chips. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind the fish and chips with the peas. It was different, but I liked it. Yeah. We're in Yorkshire now, so you have to pop a Yorkshire pudding. Yorkshire pudding. Yeah. Oh, thanks, mate. It's been great. Yeah, good to see you guys. You too, Bells. See you later. Dee, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, Dee? It's at Dawson D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in the next episode.